0: I'm Jennifer Rooks, and this is Maine Calling. What do you know about beavers? That they're busy, that they build dams, chew on trees? Well, there is so much more to these fascinating creatures, including how beneficial they are to our environment. Here with me to talk all about beavers, Leela Phillip, who is an award-winning author of nonfiction books, including her latest, Beaverland, How One Weird Rodent Made America. She's a professor at the College of the Holy Cross. And Amanda Demuse is Regional Wildlife Biologist with the Maine Department of Agriculture, Conservation, and Forestry. We invite you to join the conversation. Tell us about your experiences with beavers. Send an email to talk at mainepublic.org, post a comment on Facebook or Instagram, or give us a call. 1-800-399-3566. 1-800-399-3566. And just a reminder that our main calling phone number is different from the number to call in for Maine Public's fall membership drive. Main calling's number is one 800 399 three five six six well leela congratulations on the book i'm really enjoying it i'm reading it much more slowly than i think um i read other books because there's so much that's so interesting in there but i would like to just start by having you give us some sense of something i'm learning reading your book how important beavers have been to human history
1: Oh, well, th- first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm thrilled to be on the show. So it's really not an exaggeration to say that beavers made America, first of all. So if we just think about beavers in North America, it was beavers that jumpstarted transatlantic trade here. But even before that, it was beavers that really shaped the river system here. So if you imagine beaver land, back when there were something like 400 million beavers throughout every watershed on this continent they were shaping the river system that would shape the land so you know a functioning river system or riverscape as river scientists call it now has just an incredible suite of benefits for us and what's exciting i think about beavers is that as we face all the problems with climate change this kind of whiplash weather whiplash we're in now where We've got too much rain or it's too dry. Beavers can really help us with that. Um, Help us with drought, with wildfire, with flooding, all those things. But let me go back a step. So even before North America, back in Europe, beavers fascinated people. And I think because they're these creatures, they're weird. They look fantastic, right? With these adorable bear-like faces and then these kind of nimble humanoid hands and then you've got these duck-like feet and this paddle tail. They're just crazy, but they're incredibly adaptive. And then they had castor, which in medieval Europe was prized as a medicine. So I think they have been useful to us for a long, long time. And then they have fascinated us because they're in water and they're on land and we, we can understand them and we sort of can't. They're kind of like frogs. You know, they, they, we, we can see them on land and then they go into the water and maybe because we were once amphibians ourselves you know we came out of the water they fascinate us but beavers really have fascinated the human imagination and any look at illustrations of beavers from the 13th century or 14th century or 15th century and it's crazy how they were depicted so i could go on but i'll stop there <laughs>
0: well we will <laughs> let you but i want to turn to Amanda Demuse and Amanda i want to have a quick correction you're with the Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife Amanda, do we have a sense of how many beavers there are in Maine?
2: Beavers are doing really well in Maine now, but their history definitely follows the history of the entire United States uh, with over-exploitation and then the recovery. So they're actually a really good recovery story, a very successful recovery story. Um, as far as a specific number, wildlife is hard to measure. Um, we have different techniques and ways that we do it, um, but... You know in two thousand we estimated around seventy five thousand beavers in Maine, and the population is probably growing. So we have a very healthy population of beaver in Maine
0: all right and and they were exploited and and Le- Leela talks about this in her book a lot because their pelts were so valued and their castor.
2: Yes, yep, they are valued for you know the back in the 1600s, and 1700s the they call it the the pelt hats, the big, tall hats that the, they wore over in Europe, and, and then various other products. The castor was used in vanilla season, vanilla flavoring and in perfumes, also for medicinal values. And so there were a lot of uses for the beaver, and it was a very lucrative business.
0: Well, both of you have mentioned castor now. And, and Leela, for those who don't know what that is, explain what, where is it? Castor, where where, do, where does one find castor on the beaver? You watched a beaver be skinned and you, you know the answer to this. And also, um, just tell us some more about it. Is this castor that when our grandmothers referred to castor oil?
1: Um, well, I think actually it it's um, different than our grandmother's castor oil because castor was much more valuable than that. Um, Back in the age of Pliny, it was a medicine that could cure everything from insanity to headaches. But um, beavers have internal glands, castor glands, and the castor is used as their communication. They make scent mounds and they communicate with one another with um, this scent. But um, it's interesting. I mean, until very recently, castor was in a lot of the foods we eat. Twizzlers and raspberry candy and strawberry ice cream, things like that, because it enhances raspberry and strawberry flavors. It's also still to this day in very high-end bourbons and vodkas, so, and perfumes, it's a kind of fixative. But I think um, even recently, castor was being sold on, um, you know, in North America in markets for quite a bit. But I think the, the beaver fur is more fascinating. So beavers have barbed fur so this makes an extraordinary felt and back in the 1500s it was really like the Gore-Tex of its day so a beaver felt hat was incredibly valuable to people Um, not just for fashion but really for protection against you know for warmth and protection against rain but um so that that's the beaver caster and um Beavers are just extraordinary animals. Um, And I think there are so many features about the beaver we could talk about.
0: Amanda, just this past week, we had um, Maine Department of Transportation Commissioner on. And we know that Maine has uh, pretty much more roads per capita than any state east of the Mississippi. But roads are also a place where um, the the interface isn't always positive between the beaver world and the human world. how often are there complaints about flooded roads, flooded access roads, flooded driveways because beavers have flooded an area with one of their dams?
2: Yeah, and that's the kind of fascinating thing about beavers. An amazing thing is they are really good engineers. We could harness the, that power to build things where we want them. Um, they could do amazing, amazing things. But yeah, because of that, because of their um they want to dam up water to create habitat and create areas for them to live they do plug up culverts around the roads we have a lot of our road systems um so it is a fairly frequent issue that we deal with um on a basis statewide with roadways both major highways as well as small roads farm roads woods roads all those things uh, and there's different me- methods uh, to deal with those issues, and we can, I'm sure we'll touch on, um, but it definitely is is an issue that arises. And like I said, they're just amazing engineers, which makes them really good, we call them ecosystem, ecosystem engineers, because they're one of the few animals besides ourselves that can actually alter their environment. And they do this by building dams. So it's a pretty unique creature. But yes, unfortunately, they do cause problems, too.
0: They build dams because they need water. So they just create their own ponds. They don't necessarily, Leela, depend on finding a pond. They say, I think I would like to have a pond here. And so they create one.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really interesting just to stop a minute and talk about that, if we may, because they'll come to, say, a creek or a stream, and they'll um, swell that creek or stream with a, a dam. But that, and they'll do it again and again because they want a series of dams. And that's interesting because they have discovered over time that, that, that dam system, that damming complex is much stronger as a series than just a one-off dam. And so pretty soon what was a thread of water looks more like a series of beads on a chain. And each of those ponds we should think of as not just a visible basin of water, but The average beaver pond holds something like three times as much water underneath it that we can't see so there's this invisible sponge of water underneath that is there holding water if there's going to a drought coming Um, or it's a sponge that's there to hold water if a flood comes so it's incredibly valuable and that amount of water exponentially adds up and not only is that a sponge, but we might think of it as like a coffee filter because it's cleansing the water as it goes down of things like nitrogen and phosphorus, really pretty difficult pollutants to get out of the water system. So all those beaver altered wetlands or created wetlands are actually cleansing water for us. So it's, it's just those little beaver ponds that we see in the woods are just so valuable to us. And I think... The problem we have is that we've built a lot of infrastructure, roads, towns. You know, we're not going to move Hartford. We're not going to move our cities and our roads, but we've built them in low-lying areas where the river used to be. And that's where beavers are going to move. So we do need to learn how to manage the water there. And there, I think, as Amanda pointed out, there are increasingly sophisticated ways to do that so that beavers don't flood those roads don't create problems because beavers are gonna go to those places because that's where the river is supposed to be.
0: And you all are talking about that they're incredible engineers. Of course, MIT has adopted the beaver as its mascot for that reason. Amanda, tell us about uh, the most remarkable beaver dam you've seen.
2: Oh, I don't know if I have one in particular. They're really, because they can be real small dams or they can be taller than you. I, I know there was one, many years ago up here. So I'm in Aroostook County. And unfortunately, that I came across it because of a road issue, um, a flooding issue, because the Beaver Dam had actually um, been breached uh, due to various factors and flooded the roadway. So we were investigating what this flooding was with some of the DOT biologists and went up, up, up the bank and up into the woods, probably about half mile. And There was just this massive beaver dam taller than myself that had obviously been there for many, many years. Um, And just the sheer size of some of these dams, you can actually see them. If you look at Google imagery, you can actually see these beaver dam complexes through that imagery. If you look in, in various places, there's... Lots of places in the northern woods here and basically all over the country. Um, I forget the exact size of one of the largest ones that's ever been mapped. I don't know if Leela remembers that off the top of her head. But um, like I said, it's just they, they can produce just massive um, complexes and hold lots of water back. And it is said, there are problems with where they put them sometimes, but where placed in a good place, they create a lot of habitat, They're, like our moose and for ducks different amphibians. It's a very valuable uh, aquatic fish and insects. It's a very valuable habitat. Um, And in Maine, I mean, we're 90% 90 forested. So, and we also have a a pretty active forest industry with a lot of young forests, and that's what beaver. So beaver eat, Um, they have these sharp teeth. They actually have some iron in them, which makes them extremely sharp and they're continuously growing. And that's what makes them be able to chew through this wood. And they like to eat the cambium, which is right under the bark of the trees. But so we, a lot of what they like to eat is that younger. They'll, they'll strip the bark off larger trees, but they also they like to eat those younger regenerating branches as well as they also eat leaves and aquatic vegetation and various things, depending on the time of year. So we have a lot of those resources and like any wildlife population. Their success depends on them having the resources they need to survive. So they need that stuff, and, that, and Maine has a lot of forest for them. And well, we'll
0: ask Leela that question about the largest dam ever, but we do need to go to a break for our pledge drive. This is Maine Calling. We're talking about beavers. We'll be right back.
3: Listener support brings us Maine Calling with help from Bernstein Shur, a law firm that helps businesses address the challenges of climate change. Learn more at Bernstein And by Maine Council on Aging, working to build an age-positive Maine through conversation and action, MaineCouncilOnAging.org. And you are listening to
4: Maine Public's Winter Warm-Up Drive. It is the last day of our drive today where we are asking for your support for this kind of local content programs. Like Maine Calling Stories, you are not going to hear anywhere else. Your support makes it possible by calling 1-800-866-1475 or head to mainepublic.org. I'm Robbie Feinberg. I'm the All Things Considered host here at Maine Public. I'm joined by our Director of Leadership Gifts, Lindsay Michelle, where we are asking for your support. Lindsay, I feel like I have learned... So many different things already. I have this this long notebook of all these things about beavers that that I have I have learned already. But this is what you get with main calling. You get to learn all of these new things about our state. It's really incredible.
5: It is. I and I actually saw you taking notes through yeah. that at the beginning <laughs> of the episode. It was great to see. Uh, you know, I love that you get to wake up in the morning and you don't know what you want to know or learn today. But main calling is always going to help uh, educate you on some important topic today it happens to be beavers which are essential in our state but I you know earlier this week there was a talk on toboggan racing I believe uh yesterday was arts and education so it can be all kinds of topics sometimes it's even upcoming election issues that are so important um, especially in a year like this so again we're ask we're here asking you for your support today at at, by calling 1-800-866-1475 or going to mainpublic.org.
4: Yeah, again, that number 1-800-866-1475. And one of the most unique things about Maine calling is just the way in which it's truly like a community connector as well. It's what I love about it. It's that we get to bring on the, these wonderful experts from across the state, but also we get to bring in your voices. We get to bring in listener voices from all across the state. I mean, I think of I feel like regularly you are hearing from folks in Southern Maine, from Aroostook County, from Western Maine. I mean, that it's... I don't think there's anything like that where like you and your neighbors get to interact with folks on this level. It's truly this really unique part of Maine. And you make that possible with your support. You allow us to do that through your donations every single day. So call right now. Join that community that does make that possible by calling 1-800-866-1475 or head to mainepublic.org.
5: And we want to thank all of you that are supporters and longtime supporters. I know in my my work, I get to talk to some that have been supporting us since the 80s every single year, and it's wow. so inspiring to see the dedication. And today, of course, we're celebrating and asking for those people that haven't joined us yet today yeah. to call 1-800-866-1475 or go to mainpublic.org to become a first-time donor. And please join us.
4: Yeah, whatever level you can as well. Maybe that's $10 a month, maybe $20 a month, 50 Dollars a month, whatever works for you. Again, what's important is that you become a part of this. It's that we all work together to make this possible. It's a, it's a true community here at Maine Public. It takes everybody from across the state to, to bring you this kind of local programming. This takes, you know, obviously hosts like Jennifer, but producers and bandwidth and technical skill. It, it takes all of us together to make this possible. It takes donations from all across the state. So join right now at whatever level you can. Call 1-800- 866-1475 or head to mainpublic.org.
5: And again, we're here for the warm, winter warm-up drive. Please consider giving us a call that again is 1-800-866-1475 or go to mainpublic.org. Thank you. And thank you. you.
0: Welcome back. This is Maine Calling. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today on the program, we are sharing fascinating facts about beavers and how the state manages their population. Joining me, Amanda Demuse, who is a biologist with the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife, and Leela Phillip, a professor and author of Beaverland, as well as other acclaimed nonfiction books. She's going to be speaking about her book, Beaverland at Print Bookstore in Portland, on February 29th. You can share your comments, your questions, by email. A brief email, please, talk at mainepublic.org. Comment on Facebook or Instagram, or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. Yes, a different phone number than for the pledge drive, 1-800-399-3566. Leela, you know, what is the largest beaver dam to have been discovered?
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was waiting to share this fact. So, uh, you know, it's seen by satellite imagery. It's up in northern Alberta, and it's actually the largest animal construction on the planet. And uh, it's 2000, about 2700 feet long. So it's much larger than the Hoover Dam. And it's lasted um, almost 100 years. That's the other thing that's interesting. And I write about going out in Michigan and tracking down beaver dams in that were documented in the 1800s that were documented in a wonderful book called The American Beaver. But um, I found beaver dams there that were over 150 years old as well, which raises an interesting question about beavers working in the same site and they're clearly working in an intergenerational way. There's a lot about, that we don't know about beavers. They're relatively understudied as a mammal Um, you know the charismatic mammals like wolves and um, bears have been studied much more than beavers and I think in part because they were useful to us as pelts and then they became kind of pests for a long time as we before we really fully understood their value although I should say we I think the indigenous peoples who have always lived here um, fully understood their value and their their incredible value as ecosystem engineers and keystone species, Um, the role they play in managing basically the the water system, the river system. Although in indigenous ecological knowledge systems, you might call them um, a keystone relative, not a keystone species. But but I also wanna give a little bit of a shout out to Maine because it was in the Penobscot nation in the 1990s that a wildlife manager named Skip Lyle um, helped the Penobscot Nation become the first large landowner, um, I think, in the world. To they managed over 150,000 acres full of beavers, um, and they had a lot of beaver flooding problems. And they solved them without using lethal force. Um, they really leaned into. Uh, developing culvert diversion systems and pond leveling systems so that they were able to manage flooding problems uh, with with pond levelers and culvert diversions. So I think that's really kind of something that Maine should be proud of.
0: We'll go to Norris, who's calling from Portland. Hi, Norris. Go ahead. This is Norris. This is a marvelous program. There's so much to learn from it. And do you know that the word beaver back derives to the verb to beave? It's a regular verb. It conjugates normally. I beave, you beave, he shear, it beaves. And it
1: means to gnaw on something until it falls over. So if you see a place where beavers have been at work, you might accuse them of beavery.
3: Think of it that way. I beave, you beave, he shear, it beaves. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Thank you, Norris. And, and you knew this, it looks like, Leela, you're nodding.
1: Yeah, although I, I think there's a little bit of a, um, there are a lot of urban myths about beavers. One of them is that they have to continually um, chew down trees to keep their teeth under control. They actually do self-grinding, like a lot of rodents. They keep their those ever-growing, crazy teeth under control by grinding them. But they do need to chew down trees for building things. No, so...
0: Thank you, Norris, for your um, call. We have a couple emails here that that show contrast. So um, first, David says, here in the foothills where tributary creeks drain into the south and Ossipee Rivers, there is one particularly zealous trapper who proudly boasts of having taken as many of 80 beaver in a season. If one walks the same woods and trails, they can witness that whenever an industrious beaver family sets up shop to make a dam, they are promptly trapped and killed. Their carcass is left for ravens and coyotes. Um, And he goes on to talk about how disappointed he is. And he says, has there ever been considered a limit to the number that an individual can take? Um, And so I'll start with that question for you, um, Amanda. Is there a limit for beaver trapping in Maine?
2: There is not a limit for beaver trapping, but it is regulated. The type of the season is regulated, so the timing that you can trap and then the type of equipment that you can use is regulated. So that you know limits um, where people can go and how long they can trap. But there is no actual you know per person limit. Um, that said, trapping in general is is a recreational sport that it's not dying out but there's less people doing it like i'll throw out for example in 1968 there were estimated like 700 to 800 beaver trappers in maine and this is just maine statistics Um, right now we estimate about 350 beaver trappers so with the regulations and the amount of people trapping it's not a concern uh, right now with our department we do keep close tabs on harvest numbers and trapping reports. So trappers have to submit reports of their how many traps they put out and how many beaver they catch. And that's how helps us keep track of the population to then change any regulations we might have to. I
0: was gonna as say, are there any areas that are off limits to trappers because biologists have determined that we need to re- reintroduce or boost the uh, population?
2: Yes, so we have the ability to close different parts of the state and different waterways or tributaries for various reasons. Some might just be for a public reason. Others might be for a fisheries reason or a biological reason. So we do have that ability to close certain areas to trapping if that need arises. And that's listed right in our our trapping law books, which you can access right on our website um, that is readily available. And those are reassessed every year and put into the, the laws for that coming year.
0: So, would you suggest if David's concerned, he ought to contact your department?
2: Yep, he can contact his local regional biologist and discuss the issue, and then they can go from there. Not right. being in that area, I don't, I can't help there.
0: Well, David obviously loves beavers, and then Ann on Facebook writes, "They have taken so many trees on our property." Sad. So, Amanda, what advice do you give someone who does not want their trees felled by beavers? Is there any kind of um, like metal mesh or something that will um, make them steer clear?
2: Yep. And that's a common, that's besides plugging up culverts and flooding roadways, that is the next most common issue that we have with beavers. And, So beaver will really they generally only take down your hardwood trees like your maples or your aspen or popple, um, generally not the softwood trees, but there are ways to protect them by yes, there's you can wrap wire around the bases and you only have to go up a short distance because the beaver isn't going to climb the tree, you know, they usually are within the bottom two feet of the tree. and it, it, depending on how many trees you're talking about, but usually for most people, it's very doable putting those. And there's other there's other methods, um, depending on where they are, they can, if they wanted to remove some beaver, they could hire a trapper that, you know, that's his. Uh, there's a lot of trappers that's an art and they just really enjoy doing it because you really don't make a lot of money off the beaver anymore. So those that are doing it are doing it because they really enjoy it. Um, So they could hire a trapper to come in there and help decrease the population to limit some of that. But wire around the trees works really well, actually.
0: A question here from Paul. We'll send this to you, Leela. Is it true that beavers stay loyal to their mates?
1: Yes, uh, they appear to be one of the few monogamous uh, aquatic rodents um, or rodents at all. Um, so that's quite wonderful, and they rear their kits with a great deal of attention and care for two years, and they have a very strong family structure. So um, when you see a, a lodge of beavers, it's usually uh, parents, that year's kits, and then two-year-old yearlings. And, you know, if if, if I may share a little bit, the most amazing beaver um, dam I ever saw, I watched yearlings, I've been monitoring a site where a dam, a a lodge actually was destroyed for various reasons, and the yearlings went out, and they dammed up not running water, but an apparently dry area, and they enabled subsurface water to come up, and they actually reconnected a hidden section of the stream system, which is really was incredible to watch. So what beavers do and we don't fully understand yet how they do this, how they knew that there was water under the ground that they could pull up. But they basically will help intermittent streams that go under the ground and come back up, reconnect and rehydrate at times. So it's, it's really important their role in a healthy river ecology. And I think, I think that's something we just need to keep in mind when we are troubled by the inconvenience of water in the wrong places, or trees being eaten. Of course, we have to protect certain trees that we want and wire, sand, um, paint with sand in it has also been shown to be pretty useful. They don't like that. They don't like to chew through that.
0: All right. Amanda, uh, Leela mentioned that beavers are relatively understudied uh, compared to with the other more charismatic mammals. So I'm wondering, um, given the fact that they are a keystone species and that we're, we are learning about their importance in the ecosystem. Is there research underway in Maine? And if so, what is your department and what are other departments um, that you work with trying to find out?
2: Yep, so our department is tasked with managing a lot of species. So basically every species in Maine. So it's a large order. The different species get different priorities in the planning. And some of that does depend on the health of the population. So We do, like I said, we do track the beaver populations with various methods. Um, Some of it tied to trapping and some of it tied to nuisance complaints and various other methods. Um, The first, our very first study in Maine was in the 40s. So there was an extensive research and that was, you know, Maine's first extensive study of beavers just to learn their basics um, of the Maine beaver population. Um, But beaver, because Maine has a lot of water and a lot of forest and a lot of habitat for the beaver and they're doing very well. So we do have a robust population, and beaver is not necessarily the the top priority for research and management. That said, as uh, issues come arise or university interests or something comes to our our attention that needs to be addressed, we we do initiate research projects. We did just do a 10-year planning. Uh, So we do game planning or management planning for species on regular intervals. And so we do have a fur bear management plan that we just fever started in 2019. So it's 2020 to 2030 plan, and this does outline needs for research for the population and management, and all of these goals that the department has for this particular species. And in there is learning more about the, about the animal.
0: Leila, after researching uh, your book and and just because of your interest in beavers, what is the one thing you wish somebody would find out? What do you want researchers to know?
1: I think it'd be really interesting to know how they, um, how they really know that this, their role in um, kind of managing the water. For example, these young beavers going out and damming up an area where there was subsurface water and pulling it up Um, How did they know how to do that? I mean, a beaver is something like 36 inches tall. They didn't understand, they couldn't see the geography. They couldn't see that they were in a valley that it was a perfect spot to fill. So did they feel vibrations of the groundwater underneath? Were they looking at stigmergic clues along the bank? Um, They can't see very well. How did they know that that was the place to dam up? We really don't understand that yet. And I think I just want to end by saying, um, you know, we have lost 50% of our wetlands um, and we really can't afford to lose more. So it's it's really important that we protect the river systems, the tributaries that beavers live in so that they can do the vital work that they do. I think the more people understand the biodiversity that they bring, the water cleansing and water storage function that they bring to the to the river system, I think the more tolerance people will have for coexistence and the more people will understand it's really valuable to try to work with beavers because of, you know, we are facing accelerating climate change and this kind of weather whiplash. So we might get a lot of rain, but if it all rushes through the river system and goes out into the ocean, it doesn't help us.
0: We are gonna take another quick break. When we come back, more of the main Calling discussion on beavers.
3: Listener support brings us main calling with help from the Farnsworth Art Museum, inviting you to First Fridays every month of the year for free art, community, and more. FarnsworthArtMuseum.org. And by John Bapst Memorial High School in Bangor, student-centered education in a friendly, creative community. JohnBapst.org.
5: This is listener-supported Maine Public Radio. Hi, I'm Lindsay Michelle. I'm the Director of Leadership Gifts. And I'm here joined with Robbie Feinberg, our All Things Considered host, a very familiar uh, voice to hear on the radio. And we are here asking you for your support today on the last day of our winter warm-up drive. So please give us a call 1-800-866-1475 or go to mainpublic.org. We have an amazing group of volunteers in the room with us today waiting to take your call. And would love to hear more about why Main Public is a value to
4: you. Right, and we do have plenty of volunteers here as well. We would like to thank them for everything that, that they are doing already today. We'd also like to thank Portland Pie Company for feeding our volunteers as well. Thank you. And all of this makes possible the programming that you are listening to right now, this, this local programming that is so important. I mean, I, I feel like these sorts of 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 shows about these these animals that we may see or hear about every single day but going in depth into beavers and learning about their role in helping up with us with droughts and climate change as well as just all the different ways that they factor into our wetlands and our roads there is so much that that I've already learned today and we are able to, to give you these these big, deep dives into these topics because of your support. It is because of you and your neighbors from all across the state who make this possible. So make that call right now. Join them right now by making that call. Call 1-800-866-1475 or go to mainpublic.org.
5: And again, please give us a call, 1-800-866-1475. This program is brought to you by people like you all throughout the state of Maine. Again, I have the privilege of traveling around the state, talking to our generous donors like you, and they're they're all asking and hoping that you'll pick up the phone today too and join them to support this programming. That's not only a benefit to you, but to your neighbors and people throughout our area. Uh, please, again, give us a call right now, 1-800-866-1475. 66 1475 or go to mainpublic.org.
4: Yeah, and what makes a program like this so unique is the the geographic real uh real variety of, of this program. We've already heard stories from from Aroostook County and from from places like that from going all around the state. We're a true statewide news service here. We really do. You look at all of our transmitters. We have them all over Maine and that is our service. We are here to provide you with with news and content and programming from all for everyone, for everyone all across the state in a program like Maine Calling, it really, it, it connects people from all across the state. Your donations make that possible. You allow us to be all across this big state to bring you that important programming. You make that possible. Call right now to show your support, to to join them and, and really join in, in with this. Call 1-800-866-1475 or go to mainpublic.org
5: Again, one 800 866-1475 or go to mainpublic.org. Please consider if you have never joined us and become a member today. Today is a great day. It's the last day of our winter warm-up drive and we'd love to have you as a member of Main Public. So please again call 1-800-866-1475 or go to mainpublic.org to join your neighbors and support this programming that makes such a difference in all, all of our lives. That's 1-800-866
4: 1475.
5: Thank, Thank you. you. Welcome
0: back. I'm Jennifer Rooks. You're listening to Maine Calling. Our topic today, beavers. What to know about these large rodents and how they affect our environment. With me today, author Leela Phillip, whose new book, Beaverland, out in paperback now, a detailed account of this creature's history and impact on our country. Amanda Demuse is also with us, a wildlife biologist in the Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. You can join our conversation if you want to call a different number than the pledge number, our number 1-800-399-3566. You can send a brief email to talk at mainepublic.org or post to our Facebook page or Instagram if you're very quick. Email here from William. There was discovered a giant beaver tooth in New Brunswick. It is now in a museum in St. Louis that was subject to correction about 12 to 18 inches long. It is estimated the beaver weighed about 600 pounds. This was, of course, pre-contact of newcomers. So Leela, you write about the giant beaver. And and beavers today are pretty, um, we have a correction here, Museum in St. John, excuse me, in St. John. And that makes sense, St. John, New Brunswick. Um, beavers are pretty large. 40 to 60 pounds is very large um, for a rodent. Um, But they used to be really large. Tell us about the giant beavers of years past.
1: Yeah, well, that was really fun to discover. I mean, researching this book was such a kind of beaver dream for me, which is why I spent six years on it. I met so many incredible people. And then the more I learned about beavers, I just couldn't stop. But uh, the great beaver, um, Castoriitis. So uh, beavers were part of the megafauna in the Pleistocene. So imagine saber-toothed tigers and giant sloths, you know, the size of cars and giant beavers, the size of bears, you know, 500 pounds. Um, I, I, I kind of sometimes think, wouldn't it be amazing if they could come back? They could do so much good for us and help for us right now, but maybe it's a little scary. But, but Castor canadensis, the beaver that we know today, is a different species that, of the same family that would originate later, much smaller, about 37 million years ago. And then that species would spread through Europe. There's a, a slightly different version of the beaver in Europe. And then there's our North American beaver and they're much smaller. But the giant beaver, the great beaver was definitely here during the uh, remaining years of the ice age, kind of incredible to think.
0: I'd love to see um, that in a science fiction movie. An email here from Robert. I have a swampy area that a stream passes through. How could I attract a beaver to build a dam in that area? Would love to have a beaver turn that swampy area into a pond. So Amanda, people build houses to attract bats. They do things to attract all kinds. They put out salt licks to attract deer. What? How would you attract a beaver or a beaver family?
2: uh beaver they will travel they'll disperse and move long distances along water bodies so there likely is some beaver somewhere nearby to his location um but basically they need there's you need certain aspects so it needs to have food for them so depending on what you have around there do you have aspen and willow or some of those younger trees that they can use for food and vegetation that they can use. It also depends on topography. So just because you have a stream, it has to have some kind of topography to it so that that water can fill in there and and build into there. So there's no one, uh, you know, this will get a beaver coming to your area, but um, just recognizing those needs that the beaver have and give it time. And like I said, there's a lot of people that go a long time without beavers in the area, and then you have them until you don't. So that's kind of patience is really the the game if you have those other aspects that the beaver needs to survive. We'll go to
0: Torbert from York. Hi, Torbert. Go ahead.
2: Good morning, Jennifer and guest. Uh, I'd like to leave you with an image uh, that I picked up at a conference once. I was talking to a conservationist from the Arid West about the reintroduction of wolves, and he was discussing how the beavers had helped with that. And he said that his life goal was to uh, parachute uh, breeding pairs of beavers all throughout the high mountain west. And uh, he figured after eight or ten years of that that the arid west wouldn't be arid anymore. So Well, the Torbert, image to be- but
0: Leela is uh, smiling because... The parachuting has happened. And yes, there is evidence that um, the uh, beaver can help with the horrible wildfires they've experienced out west. So
1: Leela, I don't want to give away too much. Tell us what you've learned. Yeah, well, thank you for that comment. Um, so in 1948, actually, um, Idaho uh, parachute dropped 76 beavers into pretty inaccessible areas uh, to restore beavers. I mean. Beavers really are this wonderful 20th century conservation comeback story. One of the best we have in North America. And th- th- that was probably one of the most tremendous efforts. They also did that in California. They um, parachute dropped beavers, but it got less play. But what's interesting about this, I was just reading NASA has been actually looking at satellite imagery of those areas where they dropped the beavers. And to no one's great surprise, those areas are incredibly green refugia now, and I have some images in my book of the Sharp's wildfire that went through in 2018, where something like 64,000 acres burned in Idaho. Maybe a slightly small wildfire in the mega wildfires that were to come in the you know later in California and Oregon, but still, right through that wildfire, you see charred mountains and a green strip, and that's where the beavers um, are living. So their role in creating uh, green refugia to help slow down and then later mitigate the impacts of wildfire it's just been documented so that the state of California right now has actually a national, I mean, a state policy a beaver working group. They've actually changed the rules about the predatory status um, uh, of beavers. So, Beavers, the trapping regulations have changed, the whole management of beaver have changed, and they're actually harnessing beavers as a watershed resiliency tool big time because they've seen wildfire, they've seen flooding at a scale that we haven't seen yet on the east, and so they're really moving ahead. Utah, Oregon, Washington, those states also have been um, harnessing beaver and what they, they call translocating beavers so actually moving beaver into areas so they'll plant food first willow aspen poplar and then they'll build bdas beaver dam analogs to create habitat and then bring beavers in so it's it's really moved to another level in fact um, thank you for mentioning the paperback I wrote a whole new afterword to sort of catch up <laughs> on all that's happened in the world of environmental restoration, nature-based restoration harnessing beavers.
0: Torbert, thanks for your question, your comment. Uh, Here, we're gonna try to squeeze in Matt, uh, who's calling from offshore. Uh, Matt, go ahead, and if you could be quick, that'd be great.
3: Yeah, we live on a little island that's nine miles from the nearest island and uh, 12 miles from the nearest real port. And uh, we've had beavers swim out there,
2: the first one, it was on the island, was in the town water supply, and there was a boat to remove it. And uh, after that, they've been coming back. They come out. It seems like they come out and they look around for a mate. When they don't find a mate, they leave. But that's a long swim, you know, nine, ten miles at sea to get to get there. So,
0: Matt, I'm so glad you called. That is a long swim, Leela. Another reason they're amazing, huh?
1: Well, that's another thing I would like to learn is how far did they go? Um, they've been actually videotaped in Alaska climbing cliffs to get to new areas um, as the climate warms and they're moving into Alaska uh there it's nobody thought beavers were that intrepid
0: Matt thanks for calling um I'm gonna leave Amanda asking you about um, their ability to slap their tail against water I personally had an experience with that being out canoeing years and years ago with my brother way past dark when we were, um, and, and it was a quite an adventure. And it was, um, that, that adventure was made even more dramatic by hearing beavers slapping their tails in the dark. Um, how, if you can characterize, uh, how close you have to be for a beaver to do that, um, um, and what the experience is like. Yeah,
2: then, yeah, that will definitely make you jump if you're not expecting it, especially if you're out there when it's darker. Um and it, it depends how close you have to be depends on the beaver, just like other creatures. Some that are used to people you might be able to paddle right up next to before it'll slap that tails. Others it'll be way in the distance. So it just really depends on where the beaver is, how much people have been around it and just individual beaver behavior. But yeah, there's nothing more intimidating than hearing that and not knowing where it's coming from too. Because they're That's a big right. animal. And And we just have a few seconds, Leela. But there's a certain slap for one thing and a
1: certain slap for another, right? Yeah, it's another thing I wish we knew more about. i've I've definitely been out and um, had a beaver lead me away um from a lodge area by slapping their tail and definitely like playing with me as you know, trying to get me to follow them.
0: Well, thank you so much. We could talk about this for hours. Leela Phillip is a professor and author of the book. Beaver Land, and she'll be presenting that book at Print Bookstore in Portland on February 29th at 7 p.m. Also with us for the hour, Amanda DeMuse, Regional Wildlife Biologist with um, the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife. Today's sound engineer, Sam Tracy, along with George Thomas. Our song was composed by Mike Jandro, and the Maine Calling is produced by Jonathan Smith and Cindy Hahn. I'm Jennifer Rooks. This is Maine Public Radio.
3: Listener support brings us Maine Calling with help from Town and Country Federal Credit Union. Committed to local, helping local in financial services and the community. Learn more at TCFCU.com. And by the Lunder Foundation, founding partner of Maine Public Radio and Maine Public Classical. And you are
4: listening to Maine Public's Winter Warm-Up Drive. It is the last day of our drive on this Friday where we are asking for your support to hear more shows like that, to hear more shows that go deep into these kinds of Maine topics like beavers, other things, whatever you you can expect on Maine Calling. Your support allows us to do that. It allows us to bring you that kind of programming. You can make that call to support 1-800-866-1475 or head to mainpublic.org. I'm Robbie Feinberg. I'm our All Things Considered host here on Maine Public. I'm joined by our Director of Leadership Gifts, Lindsay Michelle, and we are asking for your support right now. Lindsay, I just think of all the folks who we've already heard from. I, I wrote down Matt, who's way offshore, who called into the program, nine miles offshore. But that's what this program's able to do. It's able to connect folks from all across Maine and even into the the Gulf of Maine as well to connect folks.
5: Yeah, it's it's amazing. I, this is one of my favorite, personal favorite programs. I always learn something new, and you know, I was I was taking notes on on the programming today just now of, of the swimming of the miles. I was very impressed that mm-hmm. there might be beavers all the way offshore, but also I didn't really understand that they would be parachuting in beavers yeah. to <laughs> solve wi- wildlife crises. So, uh, really fascinating things that you always learn here on Maine Public, and especially Maine Calling. So, uh, again, if you feel that way about this program, Programming and it's making a difference in your life, please consider calling 1-800-866-1475 or you can go on mainpublic.org to make your contribution now. Please consider picking up that phone. We have a great group of volunteers waiting to hear from you and would love to hear a little bit more about what Maine Public means to you.
4: Right. Again, that number, 1 800 866 1475, or go online to mainpublic.org. If you've never given before, now really is the best time. It, it truly does take. It is more than 50,000 of us all across the state who, it's a real community of folks who say, we, want this kind of local programming. We want to be able to make sure that we can hear Maine calling every day. We can get the the early morning news with Irwin or the afternoon news um, with, with myself and our whole news team as well. You make that possible. You allow us to, to go deep into those issues, to to explore so many different stories from all across the state, and you show that support with your donation. So call right now at whatever amount that you can, whether that's $10 a month, $20 a month, $50 a month. It is very easy. Just make that call. Our volunteers are all here ready to walk you through the process. Make that call 1-800-866-1475 or head to mainpublic.org.
5: And and we have some great additional thank you gifts this time that are brand new. So if uh, you haven't made your donation yet, please consider checking those out. Uh, You can see more details about them on mainpublic.org when you go to make your contribution. But uh, one of the ones that I wanted to highlight now is uh, the the L.L. Bean vest, which mm-hmm. has the main public logo on it. <clears throat> it's been a, a, a real popular option. It's I know it's something that I plan on taking advantage of. Uh, they're navy blue with the, a tasteful logo right on the corner. They're made out, out of L.L. Bean, sort of what they call the sweater fleece. So mm-hmm. it looks nice and polished on the outside, um, but it's nice and warm and fuzzy on the inside. It's a, is a zip-up vest, and we hope you'll consider making a contribution that if I... Uh, of thirty-one dollars a month, or uh, three hundred and sixty-five dollars for the year, and you can be receive one of those vests as well. So please call now: one 866 1475 or go to mainpublic.org
4: yeah and when you become an as friend as well one of the things uh one of the the added perks that you can get as well is a pbs passport that's the pbs streaming service as well which basically it's going to get you access to all kinds of programming we've got you know think about the, the the local programming that we've got whether that's high school quiz show or uh borealis but also th- those national programs like nova pbs Newshour. All the different documentaries, you've also got some of the programs like Doc Martin and All Creatures Great and Small. I feel like I could just keep going. I'm like rambling because of all of these <laughs> these different programs that we have. But, but you can get access to that. That is, that is if you become an evergreen friend right now. Um, but think about it, you'll get that plus all of the great programming that you rely on from Maine Public Radio programming like Maine Calling, the local news... All of that is made possible because of your support. So make that call right now. Join your neighbors 1-800-866-1475 or head to mainpublic.org.